0: Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now.
1: Welcome back to hour number two, today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. I am Jeff Dean here with you on... This fabulous Friday! Happy Football Friday to you all out there! And uh, we've got one hour left on today's show. If you're tuning in on the AM side at 1490, or if you're tuning in on the FM side at 104.9, or if you're choosing to listen via the live stream, which can be found on espntucson.com or via your Alexa-enabled device, or maybe you're listening in the future to a podcast that you have downloaded, whether it be from espntucson.com or anywhere you get your uh, your podcast downloads. Regardless. I appreciate you tuning in to the Jeff Dean show and uh, taking some time out of your day out of your life to uh to check it out I appreciate it and uh put some you know put a lot of time and effort into uh, putting together good shows for you guys and uh, always like to Voice my opinions on things, that's for sure. You'll never get a shortage of that. Uh, And I appreciate you tuning in here. And you can always interact with me on Twitter. That's at U-A-Z Voice, at U-A-Z Voice. You can always interact with me there. If you have any uh, comments, questions, you know, whatever have you. uh, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your opinions on NIL. I mean, I spent almost the entire first hour discussing you know, what I think some of the problems with NIL, just how much of an impact it's having on the world, not just of college football and basketball, but in the world of college athletics, period. Um, and Bruce Pascoe had a, had an article that uh, that was on the Arizona Daily Star yesterday uh, that he spoke with Dave Hickey because there was a Pac-12 conference before the entities separated, before the coaches and the ADs went to the Fiesta Bowl Summit and before the uh, the commissioners Went off to have their own kind of conference, you know, national conference in regards to dealing with all the things that are going on in the world of uh, of college sports. Look, uh, you know, there's there's a lot going on, um, and it's it's not just NIL. I mean, there's plenty of other things as well. I mean, the the just to you know discuss a couple of the things before we move on. Um, you know, from you know, from talking college sports, like I love I love talking college sports. It's my it's my passion. I know we talk a lot of it here, and I hope you're okay with that. Uh, but you know, the Pac-12 is doing other things outside. There's other things going on outside of just NIL and transfer portal and stuff like that. And the Pac-12 is going to be proposing to the league presidents uh, later on. You know, in a, you know, later this month, basically, that they want to eliminate the divisions in the Pac-12. So there'll be no longer a North or South division for football here in the Pac-12. The NCAA needs to uh, approve it, essentially. But this will allow the conference to now put a game in place where, like, where the Pac-12 championship game will be played for, against or by the, the two best teams in the conference, not just the winners of each division. Because in certain years, it has been like, okay, we got this team that is just freight training right now. And then they have to play a seven-win team in the conference championship game. And nationally, people are like, "Well, they didn't beat anybody for their ch- their conference championship, so we're not going to put them in the CFP." Now, if this if this does get approved, and I think it will, the the teams will be able to the pack the conference will be able to essentially say, "Okay, the two best teams are going to play each other." we we'll, whoever those two best teams are, um, and, and it'll change the landscape of scheduling. I still think that that for the most part i think we'll still continue a regional type of schedule i believe that is kind of more advantageous you know even you don't want to have arizona skipping you know the games against you know colorado utah and the southern cal schools because they needed to play you know oregon washington washington state oregon state you know in that same period of time you would i think you would generally keep the same regional schedule where you would miss a couple of teams from the northern aspect of the Pac-12 uh, each year. So I don't think that will affect it, but it will keep – it will it will give the conference a more flexibility in trying to get a team into the CFP, which is, of course, what it's all about. I mean, you want to have teams playing for national championships, and right now that ain't happening. Um, they are – they mentioned that um, they're not going to be – Moving to an eight-game conference schedule, which I'm okay with, still, um, if they, you know, if if the alliance wants to start scheduling one another in th- in three four years, then that's fine. Um, then you can move to an eight-game schedule where you have eight conference games, you play one alliance uh, team, and then you go out and schedule three, you know, three teams on your own like you normally would, three schools on your own like you normally would. So I would be in favor of that, um, where essentially your ninth conference game would be an alliance conference game let's not forget about the alliance it's still out there um i'd be i'd I'd definitely be okay with that certainly 100 i'd be on board with that um you know it's it's it was funny because uh i shouldn't say it's funny but we were talking about i was talking about the the pac-12 television deal with a couple of people on on wednesday night and it's just it feels so far away because essentially they 're locked into their current deal for the next four years they are contractually obligated they cannot move off of that in the next four years. So what happens between now and then is so crucial for these schools. It is so crucial that the pac twelve perform at a high level, which I think why there was i think there was some considerable stress put on some of the schools in this uh uh, in this conference, to do better in regards to hiring big name coaches, looking at you team in Southern California, <laughs> that you needed to move off of that train wreck that you had and get serious with football again, which they did. When they went out and got Lincoln Riley. That was the best thing that USC could have done. And it's look, I meant when he the day that he got hired, I said this is great for the Pac-12. And if USC becomes a dominant force, if they do, and I'm I'm saying they will, I'm saying if they do, if they become a team like we saw back when Leinart and Bush and you know that entire crew was there with Pete Carroll and everything, and if they're beating teams 48 nothing in the conference, but they're able to go 11 and one, 12 and 0, whatever have you, and represent the conference in a in a college football playoff for a national championship, and maybe cash in one or two of them every once in a while. Okay, that's good for the conference. I, I'm okay with that. Everyone else is gonna have to learn how to play with them. Period. I mean, it's just that's just what you got to do. You got you got to you got to step up your game. You can't just rely on getting wins because the other programs are bad. Okay, I think a lot of a lot of coaches and a lot of administrations have gone that route in the Pac-12 recently, and I'm not happy about it. It just seems like several of them have have just kind of embraced mediocrity. I'm looking at the other school in Southern California and and just said, we're good enough to win seven or eight games and look good on television in our pretty uniforms. And that's that's where they've been the last several years. That's been the the mindset. They're next. They like if I'm if I'm George Kleavkov and behind the scenes, I'm trying to elevate this conference. I'm looking at what UCLA is doing. I'm like, hey, uh, you need to step your game up. Like, either kick your coach in the butt or kick him out the door. Because what's going on with Chip Kelly right now? Look, first of all, he was the only one of the 12 coaches that didn't want to play a season during COVID. He was the only one. Only one of the 12 that was like, nah, we're, we're, we're voting to stay out of the COVID season. Didn't want to play football. There have been... And I mean, not even just rumors. I mean, these are actual stories where he is just not even given a rip about recruiting while he's been there at, at UCLA. And eh, then went a few games here and there, but I mean, you know you're UCLA, you're in Los Angeles. You gotta you gotta turn out pros. I mean, you got to put people in the league. Even when when Rick Neuheisel was there, sure they didn't win a ton of games because. You know, Ricky is as smart a guy as he is, not the greatest coach, and I can say that because I talk with Rick. <laughs> Rick Rick and I are good. Like, we're, we're, we're good. So he didn't produce a ton of wins while he was there. I think underwhelmed, I think, for the most part. However, he was able to recruit very well and was able to develop pros. They, they Rick sent a ton of people to the NFL through that program while he was there. Good, good, good players. Hasn't happened in a while. So look, it's it's important for teams to be great. We 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 want that because that will elevate everyone else. You know, and, and what's going on at you know, up up in Tempe right now, we're all laughing and joking about that, and it's funny. Here's the fact of the matter. They've always been an underachieving program. Always. Always have been. They haven't been to a New Year's Day bowl game. Since they lost the Rose Bowl to Joe Germain in Ohio State. They are the in fact, this was an article written by Sports Illustrated, I think it was like ten years ago. Because I I had I had a heyday with it. They're the most underwhelming program in all of college sports is ASU football. No team has fallen further from their preseason ranking to their what their end of the season ranking was in terms of aggregate numbers year in, year out than ASU football. And they still, you know, they can, they'll can they continue to do that as long as they have the people in place. Like I was talking to some people uh, about a week ago, some some boosters that give quite a bit of money or have given quite a bit of money to that program over the years, and they have said no more. And they're not the only ones. <laughs> that That's, you know, it's a sinking ship over there. Meanwhile, us here in Tucson, feeling pretty good about ourselves. I think, right? I think. I think most Arizona fans. I think. I, I I know people in the building are feeling good about it. I talk with people in that building almost daily. And had a good conversation with the athletic director on Wednesday night. Got a chance to to just hang out and talk with him for a little bit. He was, you know, for as stressed out as things are right now, Dave's happy with the programs. He's happy with where the athletic director, the athletic department, is headed. Teams are getting wins. Teams are ranked. Tennis, you know, did unprecedented things for that program this year. All in all, in all things are, are looking up for Arizona Athletics. They've stepped their game up. They, they needed to, and they have. So props to everybody involved. It's got to get better still, and we still have to put wins on the field. But those will happen, specifically in football those will happen. Basketball did their part. <laughs> basketball basketball did their part. Some other some of the other sports are doing their part. Good for them. So the the uh you know and and we'll 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 stop there essentially. We'll you know we'll 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 kind of revisit what's going on in uh in in college throughout obviously. I'll continue to to talk to, to discuss that as more news comes about and such, but I just felt like it was something we needed to spend time on today because I didn't get a chance to talk about it at all yesterday when I was really fired up about it. So um, specifically after having conversations with so many people on uh, Wednesday night, a lot of smart people in that that room, and I had some great conversations with people. I had some laughs. There was a really funny joke. (laughs) A really funny joke that was made by one of the athletic directors uh, when we were setting up the teams for trivia. And uh, he was like, well, he goes, what's the, what's the limit on the, on the amount of people per team? And I said, well, I, I said, I've got you know, X amount of prizes to give away, so we'll, we'll do maximum of six. And uh, so he said, okay, well, we're going to start with two. He goes, can we exp- eventually expand to four and then maybe expand to eight? And then, you know, would, would we be able to expand to 12 maybe? And that got like the biggest laugh in the room, and that was good. I, props, to, props to him. That was the best joke that was made all night, period. I got a kick out of that one. All right, so we'll start talking some Suns basketball. Listen, game two was a masterful performance in the fourth quarter, and it wasn't just because of how great of a player Chris Paul is. And he is. Don't get me wrong. I've said it a dozen times on this show. He's one of the greatest five-point guards in the history of the game. Devin Booker also had a phenomenal fourth quarter, as did every other Phoenix Sun that was out there late in that game. It's because of the – I mean, first of all, it's a mismatch. We knew it was. We knew this was a bad matchup for the Dallas Mavericks. I said it from the beginning. I, when I was predicting this series, I said they'll be lucky to win one game. Lucky. And that's, if, that's probably just more like the Suns giving it away. Either they have a bad shooting night or they have uh, lack of focus on defense for a game, whatever – Luca goes off, and one of the like Jalen Brunson has a big game, or something like that. Those two combine for eighty-one points, and the Suns will lose that game. But that's it. Like that's they, they, that's that's what essentially has to happen for the Dallas Mavericks. And now, after the first two games, watching that series, I'm like, mm, I don't even know if that would save them. And huge performances from Luca in both of the for each of the first two games, and still couldn't sniff it. Like couldn't sniff the victory. Nothing. Like they got they didn't get anywhere near a win in either of those games. Now the series is going to switch over to Dallas where they're going to be playing at home and people think that this is, you know, oh, the Dallas Mavericks is going to be heading home. This is a different series now. The Suns haven't lost in Dallas in three and a half years. <laughs> so let's not just say, oh, uh, uh, things are going to be better now. The Suns have won 11 games in a row against Dallas and have not lost a game since January of 2019 when DeAndre Ayton got hurt in the game and the Suns just, they they couldn't, you know, couldn't score with the Mavericks that night. That's it. Now, how have the Suns gotten here? It's because they keep attacking the weakness of the Dallas Mavericks. And that weakness is the player that so many people locally, nationally, said that the Suns whiffed on when they took DeAndre number one overall instead of taking Luka Doncic. The Suns have feasted on Luka's defense. Because he is so bad. Now, he's a big body, he's able to get in people's way. I get it. But I'll tell you what, he came into this season out of shape. He still looks doughy now to me. I know he's still got the bad calf, and I get it. He's you know, he's out there. All the players out there are out there with, with you know a bad something or other. Chris Paul's got his fingers taped up, he's got a bad elbow, he's got a bad wrist, he's got a bad hand. Devin Booker's got two bad hamstrings, DeAndre Ayton's got a bad foot. Like, let's not, let's not just pretend that he's the only player out there nursing an injury. But the supposed, quote-unquote, best young player in the league who should have been drafted number one over DeAndre Ayton has been the biggest eyesore for the Dallas Mavericks in this postseason. He has been their biggest liability. As great as he is offensively, defensively, he is such a liability. I'm going to give you a stat right now. Before we go to break, the Suns attacked Luka Doncic 50 times in game two, 50, as the screen defender, okay? So they screen, they get Luka on ball, and they attacked him 50 times. First of all, that is a ridiculous amount of isolation attack on a specific defender. Like, you have to be the worst defender in the league to get that kind of number. On those fifty attempts, the sun scored an average of one point seven two points per attempt. I, I mean, you know, do the math. It's eighty-one points. Eighty-one points. <laughs> like, folks, I, I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what else. Like, what else I can say. I mean, DeAndre, the, he got in foul trouble. The whistles were ridiculous in the first half of that game. It was very obvious that uh, that the the officials were not going to let the Phoenix Suns do what they did in game one and get away with it. DeAndre was whistled for two ridiculous fouls, uh, and he only played 17 minutes in that game. So he wasn't even available, really, because he got in foul trouble early. and Four fouls at halftime. So, again, you know, there's, you know, one thing, well, he wasn't even on the floor. But I trust me, folks, I'm telling you right now, if I if if I were the Phoenix Suns and I had to do it all over again, even though they haven't even paid DeAndre Ayton yet for what you know what he's done for that program, he's the only guy drafted in the top ten that hasn't gotten his second contract yet. And I'm still upset about that, and I think it's stupid and ridiculous, and you're flirting with disaster. But if I had to do it all over again, if I were the Phoenix Suns, I would absolutely draft DeAndre Ayton number one again. I would do it again, knowing who my head coach is, knowing what my other personnel is. Do you imagine if Luca was on the Suns, Chris Paul would be, he'd be, you would use him. He wouldn't get the ball. Devin Booker would be a spot shooter because of the consistent ball dominance on offense and the ISO play and the drive and kick assists that he gets. He would Devin Booker would just be standing there in the corner waiting for a ball to be delivered to him. It's just not. It's, it's it's not advantageous for this team, and this, this team would be a four or five seed, probably like the Mavericks are. I take DeAndre Ayton every day and twice on Sunday over Luka Doncic, and you can you can quote me on that. You put it, blast it out there as much you want. I'll put it out there myself. I don't care. I'm not saying he's a better player than Luka Doncic. If they went one on one, Luka would win that hands down. <laughs> it's not a competition. But I'll tell you what, given the, the situation that the Phoenix Suns are in, given their personnel, given their head coach, the philosophies and such out there, I wouldn't w- I wouldn't even dare look away from DeAndre Ayton in, in favor of Luca or Trey Young, for that matter, or Jaron Jackson. I just wouldn't. He's the perfect fit for this team, and he's still on course, still on track to do something that has never occurred in the history of this league. Ever. So, you know, you can have Luka and his 81 points given up in game two. 81 points he surrendered. No, no player in history can erase that deficit by themselves. Only only two players have even matched that number or gotten over it in the history of this sport, right? Wilt and Kobe. And I guarantee you neither of them are going to give up 81 points in a, in, a, in a game where they got attacked defensively. What's going to happen to either of those guys? So, listen, have him. Uh, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad he's on the Dallas Mavericks. And pretty soon he'll be fishing in Slovenia or whatever he likes to do, uh, eating hamburgers and beignets or whatever, whatever it is that he likes to do because he'll come in out of shape to camp once again because he's done it every single year he's been in the league. So let's, you know, let's not forget any of that stuff either. I You know, I the the love, like the constant love for Luka because he puts up these great numbers on the stat sheet. Yeah, basketball's a two-way sport, folks. If he only had to play offense, he'd be the greatest player in the league. Too bad it's a 50-50 game. Sorry. I wonder what his, what his minus is for the series in regards to points scored versus when he was – the primary defender, <laughs> that's that's even worse. Yeah, good luck. So, Suns Mavericks tonight. will have a little preview uh, of that game coming up. The uh, it's funny the Suns call him Pigeon. That's what they that's what they call their mark on uh, on offense. Like when they when the Suns are on offense, their their defensive mark they call the Pigeon, and uh, they've been calling Luke a Pigeon all all series long. <laughs> Booker locked him down in the last game, and Booker's a good defender too, but locked him down and stared him down the entire way down the court. Suns are in his head, man. I love it. I love it. It's a great time to be a Suns fan. Look, we toiled for a decade. We're we're due. We're due for this. It's time. All right, we're going to take a timeout. More after this, including some NFL news and some more NBA talk right here on The Jeff Dean Show.
0: Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson.
1: Welcome back to the Jeff Dean Show here on this football Friday. Honestly, not a whole lot going on in the world of the NFL. I know Tom Brady went on Twitter yesterday, caused a little <laughs> a little, little bit of a storm amongst raider fans by saying that the uh, the Tuck rule he admitted that the Tuck rule might have been a fumble uh but then also says that basically that the ruling on the field that day is what propelled them obviously to win the super bowl and that's probably what put him in the starting position at quarterback uh, ahead of uh, Drew Bledsoe he says he would have been probably would have been backing up Drew the following season if that had been a fumble and who knows what the what the career path would have been for Tom Brady at that point you know uh, so I thought that was uh, a little awkward of Tom, but you know he's starting to feel himself a little bit now that he's out from the umbrella of the of the New England Patriots organization and Bill Belichick, and he can start to be himself a little bit more. And now we're getting to to, to know Tommy a little bit more than we did before, and uh, taking to Twitter and saying that that might have been a fumble, Just stirring the pot with Raider fans. Oh my God, Raider fans were they were they were out in in force yesterday. Because we all know what they think about that ruling <laughs> so yeah uh, and then there's uh, you know some of some of the uh, teams in their rookie symposiums and stuff they're gonna be starting this weekend rookies in the building to get you know all their information based on uh, you know the do's and don'ts of what to do as a professional in the NFL and we'll have to wait and see which rookie breaks the rules first because it happens every single year. Uh, you know, some rookie is like, we told them about this in our rookie symposium, that you can't be doing this, and someone will go do something stupid. Uh, it just, that's just the way it goes. And that's just people. That's not, I'm not talking about NFL players or anything like that. That's just people being people. And, you know, you can have 25 people in a room tell them what not to do, and it's just a matter of time before one person goes and does it. So uh, <laughs> it's just the way it's always been. Um, there was some funny memes out there. Uh, about Jamison Williams, the wide receiver from Alabama, the very talented wide receiver who's uh, recovering from that uh, from that surgery, the ACL surgery. And um, there was pictures of him holding up his Detroit Lions jersey. And, you know, Aiden Hutchinson is all smiles. He's got his Hutchinson 1 uh, jersey up there. and he's posing for photographs. And Jamison Williams had this look on his face like, get me the hell out of here. <laughs> and then – you know, so, of course, the media and the fans ran with it and they said, boy, this guy really loves being here in, in Detroit. He must know what's, you know, what's about to happen. Uh, and he had to put those little rumors to bed yesterday, and he said he's very happy to be a Detroit Lion. Um, when he gets on the field, he's uh, he's going to perform. So we'll see there. Uh, I, I You know, I kind of like – I was having this conversation with a buddy of mine the other night. I, I like what, what Dan Campbell brings to the Lions. I think it's something that that franchise has needed for some time. Like, look – it's it's like what we saw at Arizona with Arizona football. If you continue, to, look, the, the, what's the the, the definition of, of insanity is continuing to do the same things but expecting different results, right? It's something like that, something to that effect. At Arizona for football, we've been hiring, you know, big-name coaches for quite some time and expecting different results and haven't gotten them, so... They went in a completely different direction this time. Somebody who's never been a head coach before, a younger guy who has been learning under the tutelage of a lot of different people at both levels, both at the collegiate level, the NFL level, has worked for some of the smartest people in the business, in the sport, and has brought all this to him or with him to Tucson. And the results have been, uh, I I mean, nothing short of incredible. (laughs) And it's not just... It's not just me. It's not just local media saying that you talk to national people that said to go from the 77th recruiting class to the 25th recruiting class essentially in in one year is nearly impossible to do, you know, like and and not suggesting that that there was any cheating involved, just saying like, you know, how on earth were they able to turn it around? And you know, Jed Fish's philosophies are different from what other previous coaches and regimes have had here at Arizona, and that's a good thing. And I think for for a lot of different areas, not just in life, but I'm talking about in sports specifically, if you're the Detroit Lions, you've been losers forever. Like you've never been to a Super Bowl. Like you just you've just been losers. And you continue to try to do the same things over and over again and you hire, you know, you hire these guys that are technicians and tacticians as far as being, you know, Belichick, you know, understudies and all this other kind of stuff. Sometimes it's just not the right fit. Sometimes you got to go completely out of the box and change everything about what you've been doing. Change your thinking. Because whatever it is you've been doing ain't working out so well. So change your thinking. They went with Dan Campbell and in his opening press conference said that they're going to be biting people's kneecaps off. And the world laughed. They're like, oh, my God. This guy is a complete lunatic, and what is he doing as a head coach in the NFL? This is a professional's league. And what did the Detroit Lions do last year? They fought tooth and nail for that man. They ran through walls for that dude. I never once saw that team quit from game one when they almost beat the 49ers when they, they were down four touchdowns in that game and came back and were one possession away from tying the score. All the way to the end. I mean, they had they got jobbed versus the Minnesota Vikings in a game that they had won. Uh, you know, the clock ran out in them, uh, you know, in their game against uh, against Green Bay. I mean, just like all these things happen. That team fought tooth and nail, and it's changed the culture of that of that franchise. And I think I think, I think they'll be better for it. And there are people that brush back against the the Dan Campbell hiring. I, hiring, I loved it. I thought it was great. If again, if you're if you're doing one thing for so long and you just complete losing and sucking at life because of it, you got to change your ways. <laughs> you got to like give give that up and move on to something else because it ain't working. All right, we're going to take a timeout. When we return, talk some NBA as we uh, get ready to preview Game Three, Suns and Mavericks next right here on the Jeff Dean Show.
0: The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson.
1: Here's something fun. Let, let, let's, let's go lighthearted for the rest of the show today. I've been pretty heavy. Let's go lighthearted. We'll try to do some lighthearted stuff here. And First of all, look, it's Mother's Day weekend, and for those of you who still have your mothers in your lives, please, Do something nice for her. Like, do something. Like, I'm not saying go over and above and, you know, all the, you know, go completely out of bounds on it and stuff, but uh, do something nice for her. Recognize her. Tell her you love her. And, God, just remember that she carried you around for nine months. kicking and screaming into this world and took care of you. Aside from all the stuff that you did as as a baby and as a child, which I'm sure she's probably reminded you about on several occasions. But do something nice for her. It's Mother's Day weekend. Make it be her weekend, not just Mother's Day. The whole weekend belongs to mom. The NFLPA, the Player Association, they they put out their list every single year of their top fifty players' sales list. Basically, it's it it's a it's a tracking device that allows them to, you know, to monitor uh, officially licensed NFL products. Based on players, like jersey sales and all kinds of other stuff, you know, the the fat heads and all that kind of stuff. And these the, the fiscal year for this is March first through February twenty eighth. Now, atop the list once again this year for the two thousand twenty one to you know, two thousand twenty two fiscal year was Tom Brady. He was first on the list last year as well, and has been first on the list many, many times, uh, five times since they started tracking this back in 2014. So this is the uh, essentially the seventh time that they've that they've tracked, or eighth time, sorry, that they've tracked it, and he's been number one. Five times the most recent uh, non-Tom Brady leader was Patrick Mahomes two years ago. Now, Tom Brady topped the list once again, and the top ten list consists of nine quarterbacks and one non-quarterback. Now, the name of the non-quarterback may be surprising to you, except that you have to understand that this guy has such a, uh, a, a cult following, if you will, because he's created it for himself. Because not only is he one of the most dominant football players uh, in, in the game of football, but he's also cre- you know, like like created this little niche for himself with even non-diehard football fans who root for him because of, other things that he does, like antics and things like that that he has. And I'm talking about 49ers tight end George Kittle, who finished, I believe, sixth on the on the players' sale list behind the likes of Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, who was second, Josh Allen third, Joe Burrow fourth, Mac Jones fifth, uh, then Dak Prescott, sorry, Dak Prescott was sixth, then George Kittle seventh, and finally rounding out the top ten were Justin Fields, A.A. A. Ron, And Justin Herbert was 10th. I thought it was interesting that George Kittle is the only non-quarterback in the top 10. Like, you would expect it to be, like, a defensive player. Even one of his teammates, like Nick Bosa, might be, you know, one of the top players. Or, like, Aaron Donald, you know, who is the most dominant defensive force in the NFL, Or one of the more high-profile players, like one of the sack leaders in the NFL or uh, the interception leader or, you know, whomever. I mean, Cowboys fans buy a million jerseys anyways. Their players are always, you know, in the top 50. They always have multiple players in the top 50, like Trayvon Diggs would be in the top 10 because of the amount of interceptions that he's had and the notoriety that he's got because of them. But it's George Kittle. And it just goes to show you how widely branched out NFL superstars can be, because you know George Kittle. Look, is is one of the most dominant tight ends in the league. Of course, everybody everybody knows that he he's had you know he's often injured because he plays so damn hard. Um, He you know he gets he gets injured you know fairly you know quite a bit. He he tries to play through it, but there's just injuries you can't all the time. So he's missed quite a few games and um, you know hasn't been uh, as productive recently as he had been in the previous few years. But it's because of Honestly, and, and I think this is this is 100% the case. It's because of his wrestling type of persona. He's a larger-than-life character, is George Kittle. He's got the wild hair. He, he showed up to 49ers camp yesterday, okay? <laughs> showed up to 49ers camp yesterday in a Lucha Libre costume. Like, happy Cinco, he was in a red and black Lucha Libre mask and a cape yesterday. <laughs> like... This is this is the thing that speaks to the non-football fan, the young, you know, the the young fan out there, boy or girl, that enjoys wrestling or just big personalities, because that's what I think a lot of the young people today are attracted to, because in in the world of social media, the people with the biggest personalities are going to get noticed. That's just natural. It, it's it's the way it's been for you know for a long time, but they get attracted to these these. Big personalities, these people with larger-than-life persona who put themselves out there and maybe do things a-, a little against the norm. Most NFL players don't show up for training camp dressed as a Lucha Libre on Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> like, and he documented it and put it out on social media. He was, he was making a video on his way to the stadium or to the training facility. And then there was video of him at the security gate saying hello to everybody. You know, I mean, it's you know, it's it's just George being George. And I think you know that's another thing I remember about DeAndre Ayton when he, during his freshman year at Arizona, his only year at Arizona for that matter. And I know a lot of people will will remember him as well because there were people that were on the road trips with with Dre. And DeAndre has this really fun personality. This this larger than life type of persona. He's not a he's not the the you know the look at me guy. He's not necessarily that guy, but DeAndre likes to have fun. He's an enjoyable person to be around. He's funny. And he would put on these like th- these these alter egos when he would get on the bus or get on the plane and he would greet all of the boosters and all the people that were along the fans that were along, you know, on the road trips and stuff that, that travel with the team. He would greet them, and he would say, "You know, he would. He had he had this uh, this character by the name of Josh, and Josh was a uh, very much a yuppie type, you know, uh, rich white American male, and you know, spoke with a very deliberate accent, uh, you know, and always welcomed people to his plane and stuff like that. It was really funny, and then he always and he had other other personas as well, and it was just always kind of fun." Because most players, you know, when, like when they would get on the, the plane or the bus, they would just walk by. And, you know, someone would just smile. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Dap you up, whatever. And DeAndre's greeting people in these alter egos. And there was – I had even gotten interviewed uh, – uh, I can't remember who it was. Interviewed me about about DeAndre's alter egos. I'm like, yeah, he he has these little alter egos and he likes to play around with and he has fun with it. And he's a kid. He was 18 years old. <laughs> like – this was fun, and we enjoyed having it. And it's one of those things that, that sticks out. And one of the reasons why I'll always have that, like, you know, with Deion, like, you know, have that kind of repertoire with him, I guess, a repartee, if you will, with him, is because of things like that. And, and people relate to that because, you know, a lot of us are goofy in those ways as well. I have certainly I make an ass of myself on a daily basis, and it's okay. I don't mind doing it publicly. No, I, I don't mind. That's how I've gotten to where I am. Doesn't bother me at all. I'm shameless. Couldn't care less. (laughs) Right? Obviously. You know, and when you relate to somebody on a different level, you connect with them, you feel closer to them. And that's part of the reason why I share a lot of my personal life with you guys is because I I want you to have that kind of feeling with me as well. I, I want you to feel like you kind of know me in certain ways. And look, you know, and, and to be here, here, well, I'll give you a perfect example right now of how, what I mean. My ex-wife, we would go to dinner and stuff like that with, uh, with my stepson and all these other things, okay? We would be at dinner, and somebody would recognize me, recognize my voice, whatever have you, and they would come over and want to meet us or meet me, whatever. But on many occasions, they would reference my wife by name, my stepson by name, it's very nice to meet you guys, I've heard so much about you, and... My wife, my ex-wife, couldn't handle it. Like she was like, "This is weird. I don't like this. I don't like that it's so public," you know. But that's just the way I invite people into my life. I give you all these opinions. I let you know who I am, and I want you to know where it's coming from—the kind of person that I am. I want you to know that. And I, th- I think it helps. I think it helps kind of get people on your level as well. And it's not anything that I, I've, I've never I, like. I never once sat down to strategically. Sat out with you know with my program directors, be like my philosophy is to bring people in with personal stories about myself, and that's how I'm going to get ratings and money for this pro. I, it doesn't, it just comes out naturally. I like to get to know people, and I want people to get, to get to know me too. And I think that's the reason why George Kittle, to come full circle, why he was in the top ten, why he's the only non-quarterback to be in the top ten, and has been before. Because people relate to him on a different level than just watching him put stats up on the board on a football game. That's just me. And I think it's important for people to do that as well. Let people in. Put your guards up here and there, but let people in for the most part. Humans shut each other out so often. All right, we're going to take a timeout. When I return, I'll put a big, bright, red, shiny bow on today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. That's next right here on ESPN Tucson. (laughs)
0: The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson.
1: Final segment, today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show on this football Friday. Don't forget to tune in to uh, Spears and Ali today from 3 to 6 p.m. Some of the things that they've got on tap. They'll of course have a uh, Suns Mavericks game three preview as they get ready to uh, we get ready to turn over coverage to so that again. Coverage tonight begins at six p.m. immediately following Spears and Ali and uh, tip off scheduled for around six thirty. You can find that right here on your Tucson home for Suns basketball ESPN Tucson. Uh, Spears and Ali also today going to be talking about the Sugar Skulls some uh, some arena football as the Sugar Skulls taking on the Rattlers on Saturday. They'll also have some D-backs talk as they lead into the uh, the series, the home series against the Rockies and our very own Sam Thomas making her WNBA do uh NBA debut, sorry, with the with the Mercury uh in the WNBA. So, wishing her all the best and looking forward to uh seeing her. They uh, she certainly fits the culture there. Uh 100%. They the the, the her teammates have already fallen in love with her and it's uh it's easy to see why. She is one of the easiest people to get along with. <laughs> Everyone says the same things about her. So, if you're a gambler and you've been losing, uh, you've been losing some money. Don't feel too bad because at least you're not Phil Mickelson, who, according to Alan Shipnuck, who is uh, writing a book about uh, Phil Mickelson, it's called the. Um, uh, he has the 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 site that he has is called the Fire Pit Collective. And he released an excerpt from his uh, unauthorized Phil Mickelson biography coming out on uh, May seventeenth, which is the uh, the weekend of the PGA Championship. Which they're still unsure if Mickelson's going to be playing it or not. He is the defending champ, but he's not said if he's going to play or not. According to Shipnuck in this book, that Phil Mickelson had gambling losses from two thousand and ten to two thousand and fourteen, totaling more than forty million dollars. Forty million in gambling losses. Now, this is all during that time where there was the insider trading thing going on, and he was, uh, you know, he was essentially a spook for you know, getting some other people in trouble in that whole situation. And now there was a there's a long story about that, but you know, this all led to a lot of things in Phil's life kind of spiraling downward. You know, he lost his longtime caddy, you know, Bones, because he, he didn't pay him like, like. If you don't pay your caddy, they're not going to be your caddy for much longer. Sorry, and he owed Bones, according to this, also according to this book, he owed him hundreds of thousands of dollars in back pay, and there were all kinds of problems there. But Forty million dollars in gambling losses. Holy smokes! <laughs> wow, man, I don't feel so bad about myself all of a sudden. My paltry losses. All right, well, that is going to wrap things up for today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. Thanks to Mary back in the studio for pushing all the right buttons, keeping us on the air here. And, of course, thanks to you guys for tuning in here to the Jeff Dean Show every weekday from 7 to 9 a.m. Tune in to Spears and Ali today from 3 to 6, and I will see you guys again tom- on Monday. Not tomorrow, on Monday at 7 a.m. for a Monday edition and a weekend recap of the world in sports right here on the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 a.m., 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson.
0: Thanks for listening to The Jeff Dean Show, Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. Jeff will be back Monday morning at 7 on ESPN Tucson.